Capital FM 105.3. and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Capital Sports on Moscow's Capital FM. I am Alan Moore, and if I sound a little rough today, it's not because I'm a dog, it's because, or actually, okay, anyway, it's because I'm shaking off my first cold of 2019, so I've done very well to get so far, and uh, so healthy. So, however, nothing, and I mean nothing, can keep me from delivering the best news, views, reviews, interviews, and previews in the world of sports, of course, with my wonderful co-presenter, Double N. He's going to go up with the news in just a moment. So, what is going to tickle your fancy tonight? How about some Russian and English Premier League football? You wait for Champions and Europa League, World Cup rugby, boxing, athletics, US sports, and even super sports tips. Shortly, we're going to go to our man in Siberia, Andrew Flint, to talk Russian football, because, of course, we have huge breaking news. We're all going to find out a little bit later as well, why was Massimo Carrera having dinner with Spartak owner Leonid Fadun? More on that in just a moment. In part two, our English football correspondent, Mr. Peter Staunton, he explains why he is so down on Manchester United. In part three, we ask boxing expert Isil Cody just why a 55-year-old man, not that much older than me really, he wants to get his head punched in. And we have another hour to fill this week and we will have goodies because we have Alex B giving us an update on North American sports. In part five, Kidding O'Connor, he is going to give us a lowdown and some real lowdown stuff on the Rugby World Cup in Japan. Finally, the best until last, as always, Andy Max Tips of the Week. And of course, we are going to answer the question, just why? Just why was it Italian football legend Francesco Totti in Moscow a couple of weeks ago? And of course, we're going to ask, why was Massimo Carrera here as well? But first, it is Double N with our Capital Sports News. Good evening. We start here at home with a huge result and huge aftermath in the Russian Premier League. Spartak lost 2-1 to Orenburg, and right after that, head coach Oleg Kononov was fired. Alan, you surprised? Well, you know what? We discussed this last week. We've had it from the start of the year, and our, um, our boss, Sasha, he said, listen, this guy should have gone a month ago. That is true. He'd lost the dressing room, as you always say, and he just didn't have the backing of anybody. Nice guy, has a decent track record, but losing to Orenburg... 
time to go. That's the fourth league loss on the bench, so that's it, finished. All right, moving on. Lokomotiv Moscow had the lead at the Erzada Arena, and in a game full of action and incident, with two goals ruled out by VAR, the Moscow team triumphed 1-0. Dynamo lost 3-0 in Arosta, while CSK won 3-0 away in snowy Yekaterinburg. Alan, update us on yeah, the Yeah, we have, like, because it's all changed in the Russian Premier League right now because that win for Lokomotiv, I mean, there could be further uh, changes, I would say, the next couple of days, but that win uh, for Lokomotiv has put them into third place. They are level on points with Rostov and Zenit, of course. Krasnodar could join them if they manage to... Um, uh, beat their playing Arsenal Tula um, and uh, Ciska they're top of the table on 25 points Spartak with that loss have dropped to ninth place on 14 points Dinamo they're down in 13th place on 10 Alright in England Man City came from behind to beat Everton 3-2 Pep Guardiola say that this proves his teams are going to fight until the end for the title Riyad Mahrez was a player of the game. Liverpool stayed top of the EPL with a lucky 1-0 away win at Sheffield United. Chelsea won 2-0 against Brighton while Spurs played for an hour with two 10 men but got back to winning ways after a 2-win victory of Southampton. Serie A News, UA, Inter and Roma all won. La Liga was all about the Madrid derby which ended in a scoreless draw. Barcelona, Valencia and Granada all won. So in a table for La Liga we see Atletico Madrid, Granada and top of the table is Real Madrid. But I'll change of course of Sociedad win, so yep. let's, we'll, we'll, we'll watch on that. Okay. Alright, uh, and Bundesliga, Bayer Leverkusen made it two wins from two with a 3-0 away win in Augsburg. Schalke shocked Red Bull in Leipzig 3-1, Bayern also won while Borussia were lucky to get a 2-2 draw with Werder Bremen. At the Rugby World Cup, shocks galore. Japan beat world number one oh. Ireland, while Wales upset Australia and Uruguay beat Fiji. Russia lost to Samoa, but put up a good fight and will need to do even better when they play Ireland this Wednesday. Kickoff is at 1.15 p.m. In Formula 1, Russian Grand Prix Lewis Hamilton won the race in Sochi, while Valtteri Bottas came in second. And interesting point, Alan. Liverpool goals came in the 70th minute with their first shot on target. Yeah, I watched that game. It was a terrible goal as well. The keeper let the ball through his legs. It was just, it was dreadfully embarrassing. But yeah, I mean, Liverpool dominated the game, but didn't deserve to win. All right, back to you, Alan. Okay, thank you very much. Actually, a little thing, actually, just to throw one back at you. Okay. Uh, Hamilton won that race today, but he disobeyed the race, the team orders. They said that he wasn't meant to be ahead, wasn't meant to take the lead. He did. So, yeah, so, no, okay. I, I, mean, that's, I hate Formula 1 racing and cycle, pro cycle racing. For that, they fix the races between the, anyway. Yes. Okay, we're going to go out to, uh, talk about fixing, we're going to go out to two men. Of course, um, his local team lost today. Two men lost 1-0 at home to uh, Volgolianovsk. Mr. Andrew Flint, are you there with us? I certainly am. Um, I've had a days at the football, but I am here. Okay, <laughs> listen, um... The big news tonight that we're going we're gonna to talk about, Alec Kononov fired. Now, we did sp- speak about it last week. We basically said that this was coming, that this was about to go. This morning, I was speaking, mm. um, before I went training today, out at Locomotive, um, oddly, um, with a Spartak uh, insider and said, basically, Kononov has gone if they'll win. They've already agreed that he's going to go. Um, should he have done it sooner, Andrew? Because you were kind of like given a case for the defence that he should have like, hung on a wee bit longer. 
Well, if they were going to consider firing him before the end of the season, yes, he should have gone sooner. Um, I was convinced that he was going to going to stay until at least the winter, possibly longer. Not because he deserved to, but because it looked like they were eyeing up Stanislav Chichesov in the summer. That's what I've been told by a few people um, close to the club as well. The problem is, when you're talking about who's going to take over, there have been dozens and dozens of candidates um, mentioned. But the situation has been poor for such a long time. Um, in the context of this season anyway, that it's, you know, you either get rid of him much earlier than this or you say you're definitely staying to the end of the season, not halfway in the middle like it's been at the moment. I mean, they usually, Spartak do in fairness, they act a little bit sooner, like, you know, they, they, they got rid of coaches at mm. the start of the season, like after, well, I mean, I'm just thinking of uh, Unai Emery. I mean, they, they let him get through enough games in Champions League and then you say, like, that's it, and they, they got him out. Um, but with Kononov... I mean, for me, it seems that they weren't going to fire without having somebody lined up. Now, you said Churchesov, and Churchesov has been mentioned a number of times. Um, I also spoke a couple of Okay, we just lost Andrew there, but we'll get him back in just a moment. Andrew, you're back on with us? Andrew, you're back there? Hello? Yeah, okay, great. Listen, Andrew, yeah, I'm here. Um, a couple of weeks ago um, at the IFTAS, I was speaking with Massimo Carrera, and I asked him, would you come back to Spartak if they want you because like it looks like they need a good coach and he kind of smiled and just went well do you know what? I like Moscow now it turned out that he'd been out for dinner with uh, Lina Fedun so it's either Carrera now we just discussed this last week Carrera comes back and tries to sort of rebuild what he had going before which would be very very hard because I mean, we, we, we attended the um, almost two years ago this week the Liverpool Spartak Champions League game when he drew 1-1 mm. Spartak were a decent team then. Carrera was doing a decent job. But would he be mad to come back to, to Moscow? A hundred percent. He'll be absolutely mad. I mean, it's just as a general rule of thumb, you should never go back to a job where you've done so well before because you can only go downhill from there. But not only that, the squad he's got, the mentality around the squad is so much harder for him to, to turn around. I just think he'd be, I think he'd be mad. He's so well loved by Spartak fans that the initial boost would be a positive but it's just such a it's a poison chalice that one and you, he can't do better than he did last time he cannot do better than that I really don't think so so to come back I think it would be a big mistake for him big 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 mistake ok so if we're, if we're looking um, now people folks you can, you can message in plus 795 1111053 who you think should replace Conanoff or well who should be now taking the vacant spot um, Andrew I mean I, for many, many years, many, many years ago, I thought that Spartak should have taken Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane before they went to Ireland. I now look and say, Roy Keane is ideal for Spartak because, first of all, he's a man. Second of all, if any, like, fans would be scared witless of him. Like, which one of them men think, like, oh, like, I'm a big man, I'm a, I'm a hooligan. Keane would put them through a wall. Like, seriously, he'd be battered the crap out of him. So, I mean... Should Roy Keane come in? I mean, he, he is a good manager. He's good at turning around. He can't do any worse than Conolov. He certainly can't. And you make a very good case. I think, if anything, at this point, what Spartak need to focus on is somebody with the character to take on the job. The tactical knowledge, of course, is important. But I think that, honestly, at this point, is secondary. Because... 
if you can't take control and you've got to absolutely dominate that dressing room or you'll be eaten alive um, and one person who will not be eaten alive like you say is Roy Keane and I think he gets a lot of bad press in certainly in Western media for how some of his managerial um, experiences have ended up going sour but he has shown at the beginning he can turn things around he can get the best out of players uh, I mean it's a big risk for him but I mean he's like you say he can't do worse um, and I think his character would certainly cope with it. So he's got at least some ingredients in place already. It would be it would be an interesting appointment. Okay, if okay, looking outside again, that like for me that's very very much left field. But I would till the end of my days really really believe that Keane is ideal for Spartak. He is a he's a, a gladiator. You know, he wouldn't mm. even need to wear a stupid gladiator costume and call himself Spartacus. He just walk out and say, <laughs> "I am Roy Keane." Like you know, mess with me and I'll break you. But who else would you think? could fill that role in Spartak and actually turn the game around because you know we, we saw Kurban he, he he was kind of like looking at mm-hmm. it um, and he turned it down because of money uh, who else who else could come in because Carpina's not coming back he's not mad enough to come back he's doing great down in Rostov who else can can, yeah. can take up that spot Andrew well, I mean, I've been having a look at the, the betting websites, actually, since the, the news broke an hour or two ago, and the favourite at the moment, bizarrely, is Dmitry Parfionov. Um, I, I think it's a slightly odd idea to put him up, because he's done a very, very average job with um, with Ural's already shaky defence. They've conceded again um, at the weekend, conceded most in the league. I've seen Vadim Yevseyev's name in there, and neither have really got... They've never worked with clubs of that scale, I don't think. So I don't. I wouldn't put them forward. Vladimir Fyodorov um, at Oldenburg. He's. Well, I mean, it would be ironic, wouldn't it, yeah, if he was the man brought in having just having just finished them off. Um, I personally, I think um, Kurban Badev would probably make the most sense. But like you say, it's it's unlikely given that he was approached before and turned it down. But I think of all. He is a rigid, respected disciplinarian. So you mentioned with Roy Keane's character, he's far more vocal, but at least they have they share some sort of the same respect and reputation within this country. So for me, Berdeev would make the most sense at this point. Okay. Um, I just wonder whether he thinks it's worth tarnishing his reputation. That's true. Double N, you agree? You agree? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I think that like the spot is ready, and I think Robin Berdeev is now free to take the like to. The ball is like he's on his pitch, so he has to make the move. Mm. And I think it will be a great replacement for. Yeah, Kamal. I mean, I, 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 I would. You both make good sense. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of his. I remember when he was building Rubin Kazan when they were in the second division, out like basically playing the likes of two men and Volgulianovsk many, many years ago. So he is good enough. He's mm. built. He built Rubin Kazan with his own hands. He built it up from nothing to the Champions League to be able to beat Barcelona. So. Spartak should not be any shock for him. He he brought Rostov to within a whisker of the title. You know, when you know Leicester won the title in England yeah. and Rostov really went for it here. Um okay, look, let's move away from Spartak for a moment because there were some other big results as well. Lokomotiv beaten Zenit. That that for me was more shocking than Orenburg beating Spartak. No, of course the Spartak situation is just like it's a as I said, a clown <laughs> car, but like it's an exploding clown car. But the 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 local result, that was good but controversial. Well, it was. Um, I mean, for starts, when Loco go into the match without either mid and short brothers, you're, always, you're automatically going to be concerned. Um, I'm not entirely sure it was such a shock, to be honest. I thought it would probably end up a draw. I didn't think they would. Uh, Loco would hold on. But, um, <laughs> yeah, a few headlines from the game. I mean, VAR, of course, is everybody's favourite hot topic at the moment. Um, 
and Fyodor Smolov scored what I thought was a brilliant, brilliant header from Yao Mario's cross, but then it was cancelled out for VAR for what looked like the most minimal of contact on, on Driussi. There, there, there was contact, there was contact in fairness. I mean, I'm, I'm not... I'm not it, um, it, it was. I mean, it's, it's, you know, Alan, what I think, it's one of those moments of contact where the team who have who have been fouled will say, well, there was contact, so therefore it's a free kick. It yeah. definitely wasn't enough to make him go down, but we can't prove it otherwise because there was, there was the faintest of touches. Uh, Smolov at half-time basically suggested that um, he made comments suggesting that, well, look, just give the title to Zanit. Clearly, everybody wants him to yeah, have it. Yeah, and he even yeah. apologised to um, uh, to Semak afterwards for those comments. But in the end, um, 1-0 win was fine. Um, and um, I don't know. The, the AR, it gets these decisions right most of the time. It does, however much everybody hates it and the delay in the game. But in that sense... I, I just I'm torn on this one whether it was the right right decision. There was contact. Was it enough to make him down? It's debatable. Okay. Um, before, but, before, before, um, it makes the top of the table interesting. It is. Look, there's there's five teams separated by two points. Siska, of course, twenty five points. Lokomotiv, Rostov, Krasnodar, and Zenit all on twenty three. From that group right now, okay, um, okay, mm. it'll change. It'll change come the spring and so on. Final question to Andrew: um, Should Man United sack Ole if they lose tomorrow? <laughs> uh, no, in a, in a, in a word, no. Okay. Um, he gets ridiculed for his his good boy schoolboy comments, but he's a, he's a long term appointment. And annoyingly, I think it's one of the few things that I'm going to agree with on the Woodward um, and the Glazers. Um, they have said it's a long term thing, and that's what it needs okay. to be for him. So no, I don't think it should. Okay, Andrew, listen, thank you for that. We'll be back to you next week. Have a great week ahead, and stay warm. Okay, that was Andrew Flint, of course, our man in Siberia. Um, I caught him out with that last question because he was—he was totally unprepared for that. I—I I, I I wanted to give him a little bit of a dig, you know. Okay, we are going to go to the break right now with uh, "We Got That Cool." It's Eve V and Afro Jack in the corner pop. So we'll be back after the break with Peter Staunton, who will tell us just what's going wrong with Man United. Back after the break. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. Something sweet and it's not stemming my body It's just a beat or something getting me higher I got grapes and trees, now I'm up in my zone This is what I came for, yeah I got what I came for Four things I'm free, wait for this and get blurry
Back in. Hope you enjoyed it, little Diddy. Um, the playlist is brought to you this week from one of the coolest guys, and I asked him put in some good songs, uh, and he did, and he put in some pretty decent songs actually. Uh, you, I think you'll enjoy them. It's kind of more pop than usual, but we're going to give it a different view because we're easing in back to our two-hour slot. So just so so you understand that. Now, of course, there are games live on tonight, and because we're going a little bit longer, we'll be able to cover them as we go along. Um, one thing that we we did mention earlier on, and I got I got sort of like. Well, say spanked about it was uh, about Hamilton uh, disobeying team orders and winning the uh, Sochi Grand Prix or the Russian Grand Prix in Sochi. Yes, that's true. He did that, but again, uh, sometimes they say in Formula One the orders are fluid. That's why I was told. Just text it in. All orders are fluid. Okay, so there you go. All right, we're going across to England right away to Mr. Gold.com and of course our English football correspondent, Mr. Peter Staunton, all the way from Mayo. But well, you know, in Leeds, Peter, can you hear us? I can hear you loud and clear, Alan. Brilliant. Listen, Peter, what match, what games are we at this weekend? Well, I haven't been to one as yet, but I'll be heading to Old Trafford tomorrow night for Manchester United against Arsenal. Okay. Um, I'm, going, I'm going to repeat something that you said. Uh, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to read it out to you because I said it last week, right? Okay. Going nowhere, not a very good team. <laughs> so, do you stick by that? 
Are we still talking about Manchester United? Of course. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think we could be at the beginning of the end for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, in fact. I think, you know, that... that um, you know, the results that he had at the start, uh, very much a dead cat bounce, as all managers get. It probably went on a little bit longer than I expected it to go on. I thought that it would have run out of steam in terms of the new manager by maybe mid-January. But it ended up going to, until March and beating PSG. Since then, they've done exactly as I expect them to do. There's no real identity to the play. Players that were demotivated under Jose Mourinho are similarly demotivated uh, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Players who are underperforming, Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial. Uh, under uh, Jose Mourinho are similarly underperforming under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I just don't understand what Man United were trying to achieve. Getting rid of a manager of the calibre of Jose Mourinho and replacing him uh, with the manager of Mulda. And if they're exactly where I expected, expected them to be at this stage. Okay, listen, it, 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 we, we had Andrew Flinches on a wee while ago and of course he's a Man United fan true and true and he wants to kind of keep faith in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. says that this is a long-term move but surely, like, that they, they, they can't keep on this. Like, I mean, they're just playing terrible this season. They're playing terrible football. And it's not like they don't have a good, you know, like a very good team. They have a quality team. But as we see with Spartak here today, who parted ways with their coach, um, they, they just, they, yeah. they're just terrible. They're just really, really poor. I think you'd have to go back maybe until Graeme Souness' days at Liverpool. Uh, to get maybe historical precedent for this. And I think, in all honesty, I think that's where Man United are right about now. I think they're in a stage of managed decline as a club that would probably last, uh, at, well, we're almost into the end of the first decade of decline because they haven't won the league since Alex Ferguson left, and that was 2013. So that would be decade one in another three or four years. So this could be a case of Man United in managed decline for, for the next 10, 20 years. So they may want those... I suppose, it, um, you know, uh, those figures from around the club yeah, to take them through these difficult days. Liverpool did that, of course, with Graham Souness. He was turfed out uh, not long after arriving. Then they brought in the likes of Roy Evans uh, just to kind of, you know, give some identification to the club, uh, even though they were tanking. I think that's where we are at Man United, that you'll probably see the next time that they replace their manager, it could be somebody else uh, to do with Manchester United from historical years. Come oh, by. It could you, even be the you, likes of Roy Keane. Well, listen, we, now you said Roy Keane. We... Um, I, I've been long pushing the case for Roy Keane to take over Spartak Moscow. Because you know Spartak Moscow. I mean, they're a club that need a leader, lead a fighter, lead a warrior in there to lead them and put manners on the fans. And the, the, the owner, of course, as well. But, yeah. it, it, like, has he not burned his bridges completely with Man United? Because, like, even recently, like, his, um, his performance there with Mr. Neville uh, in Ireland when he's, like, slagging off United and saying, like, you know, Ferguson should apologise to him, never apologised to him. Surely yeah. there's no way back from him. No way. Well, well, maybe it's like in the schoolyard when you have a girl that you really like and, and you're the one that's, uh, you know, pushing her ice cream into her face and kicking sand on her. Maybe, maybe that's the way Roy Keane is behaving towards Man United. Because I do think there is a sense of unfulfilled destiny about Roy Keane and Manchester United. That's the sad thing. You know, we, we know how we left the club. He was injured in that game against Liverpool. Then uh, he was as good as sacked by Alex Ferguson for speaking out of turn in the dressing room. I think, you know, maybe he never got the send-off or maybe he never got the ovation or maybe he never got the accolades that he deserved at the end of his Man United career. And after he progressed so nicely through the first phase of his managerial career, maybe a lot of people thought, oh, he is the Manchester United manager in waiting. But when you look at what Solskjaer has done over the course of his career, and look at what Keane has done over the course of his career in terms of, of, of management, there isn't an awful lot to pick between the two of them. And maybe, you know, down the line, when Man United are looking for that sort of Spartak Moscow figure, somebody, you know, really to come in, put people into line, make sure there's discipline, play in a certain way, then maybe Keane 
you know, might be uh, the next guy. Because, look, they're, they're definitely not going to get, you know, uh, any of the up-and-coming, bright, new, young managers in Europe. It's going to be damaged goods. Because a lot of the top coaches have already had a look at how they treated Jose Mourinho. He said, give me three years, judge me after three years, and the sack him after, what, two and a half. You know, Mourinho said, we are not going to do anything this season if we do not reinforce a centre-back and they don't give him a centre-back. Well, then they go and spend 80 million on a centre-back. So they'll have looked. These top coaches, they're, they're no fools. They'll have looked at what's happening with Jose Mourinho and thinking, if he cannot succeed there, he, of winning European Cups, of winning trebles, you know, of having unprecedented success across four different countries, if he can't succeed there, what chance have I got? But listen, Dublin has a question that because we, we've been reading the reports today from England. Dublin. Yeah, hi Peter Dublin here. So what do you make of the rumours that Pochettino is going to United and he, the Southgate is taking over the Spurs? Well, I think the first part of that uh, report could very well uh, be true. The only thing with Pochettino, I think... Uh, the way that they lost uh, the Champions League final, I think, made him believe. I think it kind of deluded him into thinking that he could do more with this first squad. But he would have been well advised to look at the results and, and the overall decline of the club uh, from once uh, Harry Kane got back in the team for that away game at Burnley that they lost. I think it was back in February. And since then, their results and performances have been horrific. I think they've played well once maybe in the Premier League since then. It was a 4-0 win against Huddersfield at home towards the end of last season. In the Champions League, you're not going to see a luckier run to the final than Spurs got. They should have been put out by Man City in the quarters. They should have been put out by Ajax in the semis. They got what they deserved in the final. They're not a very good team. And there is a sort of fin de ciel uh, feeling about Spurs at the moment, among the senior players at least, where, you know, Pochettino is getting diminishing returns from those guys. It's no secret that he likes working with younger players because, you know, he can boss them around a lot better. But I think sometimes once these guys become men, uh, you know, uh, they gain a, bit, gain a bit of seniority in the dressing room, they get their pay rises, they settle down off the field. I think that's when Pochettino starts to struggle with people. And it's no coincidence that those, that, that cadre of younger players has grown into a cadre of senior players. And he has sort of, I think, not lost control of them, but I think he's, he's lost his effect on them. And I think the best thing to do, unless he can rip it all up and start again, sell all of them, sell Ericsson, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, the whole lot of them, who may well go anyway. Uh, but unless he can do that, then he's going to have to go himself and, and find another project. OK, well, if, if OK, so Southgate to Spurs, I mean, that might happen, might happen, maybe. It'd be kind of one logic kind of move. But um, I was listening not too long ago to... Um, uh, Michael Owen and he was uh, interviewed at home by uh, Matt Cooper on Today FM in Ireland uh, promoting his new book of course and one of the things he said was that he, he wanted to go back to Liverpool by hook or by crook mm-hmm. he wanted to go back but Liverpool wouldn't pay the money they paid uh, they got 8 million for him to go to Real Madrid Real wanted 16 million they said no and he ended up then going to uh, Newcastle Newcastle now, yeah. yeah now l- looking at that now like say with, with again staying with United um, which of their you know former players would want to go back to United now would it be like some gigs or God knows who like would actually or a Neville would want to go back and take over because I mean as you said no one in the right mind like a, a top quality coach even Pellegrini he's working wonders with West Ham he's not going to go back to or he's not going to go to United yeah exactly I, I, there's only one way out of United at the minute for a manager and you know we've seen it with Moyes we've seen it with Van Hal, we've seen it with Mourinho we're going to see it again with Solskjaer the only way out of that club is is through you know what's perceived to be the managerial failure and what you're going to see is the type of manager that United will end up with next because they're not going to be able to attract the top name uh, I don't think they'll be able to attract a top name it's going to be the type of celebrity that goes into I'm a celebrity get me out of here you know it's it's you're never going to get like the top 
the real top guys going into that, you know, the real famous people who, who don't need to be there. You're going to get the desperate ones. And I think that's the type of candidate that United are going to attract for the job. And maybe the likes of Roy Keane might fall into that category. Maybe the likes of Ryan Giggs might fall into that category. But as we've seen with Solskjaer, for some reason, it's remarkably easy to pull the wool over Manchester United mm. supporters' eyes. They did not question the pedigree of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer once when he got into that job. All of a sudden, they had a song for him. All of a sudden, he was making all the right decisions, whether that's sideline and Pogba, whether that's sideline and Romelu Lukaku, probably their two best players. You know, they, they were happy for him to get the keys to the kingdom. And, you know, it's astonishing to think that he's a manager of remarkably little pedigree. And OK, if we look at that, you know, talking about that, I mean, Rio Ferdinand was on TV saying, like, make him sign a contract, like a multi-year contract, give him the job. Mm-hmm. Um, people are saying, like, you know, is Rio eating his words now? Um, Right, right now, okay. If they if they don't win tomorrow, that could be a bit of trouble because especially against Arsenal, they're then Big playing show. on Thursday night, eight o'clock Moscow time uh, against AZ Alkmaar. So I mean, mm-hmm. they need to win that game, don't they? Yes, they do. I think they, they need to win the two games this week and need to win the two of them uh, convincingly. But nothing that I've seen of Man United this season. I've been at most of the Man United games for the last few weeks. Nothing that I've seen. Uh, makes me believe that they've got any better shot than a 50-50 shot of winning any game to play. I was in West Ham last week. Dreadful performance. Absolutely dreadful f- performance. And it's all well and good Solskjaer coming out afterwards and going, you know, we didn't show up, we didn't play well. Uh, West Ham got the breaks. West Ham took their chances. Hey, how about, you know, seeing these things coming before the game starts? Because West Ham are no world beaters. Neither are Astana, by the way, who I watched the Thursday before come to Old Trafford and saw Solskjaer's uh, team, they were very, very grateful that they had a very talented teenager called Mason Greenwood to, to bail them out with about 20 minutes to go because that team was going nowhere on the night and if it wasn't for a piece of indiv- individual magic from the teenager then they wouldn't have got a result there and he would have been even uh, more, uh, there would have been even more dubious opinion coming down on Solskjaer than there already is but I don't see it lasting very much longer the, the Solskjaer experiment, I have to be honest Okay, over the other side of Man City in the blue side, um, they're doing well, back on track uh, just a few points for Liverpool but on Tuesday, they're playing Dinamo Zagreb. You'd have to expect them to, to, to beat the Croatians in that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. I spent some time at Dinamo Zagreb a couple of years ago, and they're very much a, a developmental club. You know, what they want to do is get, is get the next generation of talent through. We've seen that, you know, with the likes of Mandzukic, Modric, uh, Eduardo. Lovren, pr- pr- Eduardo, pretty much every talented uh, Croatian player for the last maybe 10, 15 years has spent some time or other at Dinamo Zagreb. So, you know, I think qualifying for the Champions League for them is a bonus, uh, qualifying into the group stage, because that's not, you know, where they butter their bread. What they want to do is, is, uh, give young players the opportunity to shine in a fairly competitive league, uh, let them prove themselves, and then sell them on for uh, for a good profit. So for them to be here uh, competing with teams like Manchester City, it's a look. It's a very very welcome distraction for them, but it's not the be all uh, and end all for a club like that. Now yeah. going into a fixture like this, traditionally this is where uh, Pep Guardiola's teams, you know, really come into their own because although Dinamo are a team that likes to get on the ball, they've got some talented players of their own, like uh, Dani Olmo, the Spaniard, for example. Uh, but Guardiola's teams uh, force even teams who want to play on the front foot. They force them onto the back foot, and then they kind of uh, constrict them uh, from their creating chances, getting to the byline, pulling the ball back. And I expect to see them maybe win four or five. Gabriel Jesus is the ideal type of fixture for him to score a hat trick nice and one. you know get himself up and running for the season. A couple of others just to ask you about um, Liverpool, Red Bull, Salzburg. Um, again, Liverpool are you know back. Well, they were very lucky today, but they are you know. 
playing well. They're winning these crappy games like Man United used to do. So again, you yeah. expect them to get to get a win at home. Well, Liverpool, yeah, they're grinding it out at the minute. And, and you know, I think um, that's to their enormous credit because one of the most difficult things for a championship winning team uh, or for a championship contending team, should I say, is to tough it out when, when you know you're not playing well and you have to click through the gears and you have to just make sure you get off the field maybe with a clean sheet and three points. And they did that, you know, away to Burnley. Uh, they did that um, away to um, Sheffield yeah. United yesterday. Um, you know, they did it away to Chelsea. You know, these are really good results. Seven games, 21 points at the start of the Premier League season. That's not to be sniffed at, no matter if you're playing well or badly. Now, well, the Champions League, I thought last year, in fact, I thought at one stage when they had Bayern in the second round, I thought if, if Jurgen Klopp could prioritise one trophy over the other here, he'd probably go for the Premier League. But he didn't. He, he stuck in there, picked good teams in the, in the Champions League, got all the way to the final and obviously got the sixth European Cup that Liverpool deserved. Now, this season, um, obviously early days, um, in the Champions League so far um, but I do think now that he's won the Champions League I think if he could have a choice between one or the other he'd probably go for the league title this season so okay. I don't know maybe later on down the line when they have decisions to make over what kind of teams to pick uh, with big games on the horizon and that kind of thing I think maybe we might see him you know go for hell for leather in the league and try and pick Guardiola's team um, okay. especially since there's so many well they've, they've gained so many points on City uh, early on in the season five points they gained on them just over the course of two or three games Peter we're, go we're going to have so. to go out right now um, Spurs of course are playing Bayern at home quick take would it be Spurs coming away with a win or it'll be a draw or maybe Bayern I'll be at, just... that, I'll be at that one too Alan I think, I think that'll be a draw uh, I think Bayern they're the type of team in Europe who are happy to kind of shake teams down for a point away from home and then do the damage at home so I think that one will be a draw Brilliant. Listen, Peter, thank you so, so much. We'll be back to you in a couple weeks' time. Enjoy the game tomorrow and, of course, enjoy Tuesday night's game in uh, the, well, the new Spurs Stadium. Lovely talking to you, boys. Thank you. OK, that was Peter Staunton. Uh, he's our English football correspondent. And, of course, he writes, he's a senior writer, senior editor with uh, Goal.com as well. Right, we're going to get to the break right now because we're almost running over time. Um, coming up next, we have Isol Cody. And, of course, we're going to ask the question just what was... Francesco thought he doing in Moscow two weeks ago. We will answer, sorry, we will answer that question. So we're going to go to the break with Peace of Your Heart by Medusa, featuring Good Boys back after the break. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. Show me a piece of your heart, a piece of your love. I'm calling you up to get down, down, down The way that we touch is never enough I'm turning you up to get down, down Show me a piece of your heart, a piece of your love I'm calling you up to get down, down, down The way that we touch is never enough I'm turning you up to get down, down, down What? Sorry, just quickly, what if it's Da da da, uh, uh, da da da, uh, uh, down down down. Show me what you want 
This is part three, of course, it's flying by double N. This hour is flying by, isn't it? Yep, yep. It always does. It always does when we have like a long, long show. It just goes mental. Anyway, so um, part three of tonight's show. We've a couple of messages in that uh, one who is, it is Andre, says, no, I don't agree with Roy Keane. That's all. So thank you very much, Andrew. So uh, no excuse given. Um, Andrew Flint agreed as well. Uh, Peter Salton kind of agreed as well. You're more for Kurban. You're ah, more Kurban. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Okay, right. So, right. Talking about, well, Kurban's like like an elder statesman of Russian football. I'll say it like that. Like, kind of a little bit older than me. But, um, but even though my boxing career ended many, many years ago, many, many years ago, um, I knew when it was time to get out when I just lost that kind of buzz. I lost that excitement for it. I, I just, I wasn't excited anymore. I just didn't want to be there. And I was always told, many, many years ago, I was 18 years old, I was boxing in London. And this um, really well-known trainer just said to me, when he's gloving me up, and he said, you're nervous. And I said, a wee bit, yeah. And he said, that's good. He said, because those bit of nerves, that's good. That'll help you. It'll give you a bit of adrenaline rush. And use it. Use the nerves and use a bit of fear. And I said, that's fine. And he goes, and when they disappear, when you don't get nervous, when you don't feel a buzz before a fight, quit. And it did. It happened to me. I was in Germany boxing European Championships. And I just, the morning of the semi-final, I was like, I have no energy. I just had... I, wasn't scared I wasn't nervous I just felt this isn't for me anymore so yeah so I could however some people <laughs> some people take that decision to quit and then go back again so just why does a 55 year old man want to go get his face punched in again after like reaching the pinnacle of his sport we're going to ask that question to uh, Isil Cody who was a boxing expert and a, a law person I always say a law woman but she's a barrister Isil can you hear us I can. That was a lovely segue. I, I, I thought it was good, like, you know, so listen, laying down the is law... That but how you, is that how you're going to announce you're coming back into boxing now? Well, do you know, Isla, I, I have, like, all these, like, hundreds of thousands of listeners, and I could kind of go, yeah, I'm going to make my comeback. But you know what? Not a chance. I, <laughs> I mean, my, my face is already smashed up as it is. And um, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm still playing Gaelic football which is a stretch. You know, it gets harder to sort of like, you know, get up the next morning after training or a game. But no, no, no way in boxing. Listen, Nigel Ben, 55 years of age. Of course, he was one of the greats. He came through a golden period for British boxing and world boxing in that like middleweight, super middleweight uh, division. Came up against the very, very best, beat some of the best, lost to some of the best. But he should not be getting back into ring at his age right now. Not in my opinion. 
opinion. Um, I think opinion is quite divided. You'll see a lot of people now, I think it's a sort of morose curiosity thing. Well, if he's given a license, then is it not all okay? But there's a little more at risk here than just saying he's a very fit 55-year-old, because the reality is he's a very fit 55-year-old. Well, that's and it. Sorry, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I suppose I was listening earlier today to John Ryder, who is a British fighter preparing to fight against Callum Smith this November. And he was saying that one of the gyms that Nigel Benn will be fighting in, and tra- sorry, training in in the run-up, is the Matchroom Boxing Gym with Tony Sims. And John Ryder was discussing the fight and said, well, if he's okay to fight and he wants to fight, that's okay with me, I can understand. He's a fighter, it's his instinct. And then it was put to him, would you spar with him? And straight away he went, it'd be like hitting my dad. Well, listen, that's the whole thing. That's like, I remember when um, Lennox Lewis, when they said that, you know, to fight George Foreman. Lennox Lewis's mother said, you're not going to fight George Foreman. That's wrong. And there's a reason. Now, you can look at, you can make the arguments and say, George Foreman, Larry Holmes, even Tyson after his prison break. These are people who came back and fought. But the difference is the period in the gap. Now, I suppose, arguably, if you look at the likes of, well, Larry Holmes, he came back. You had Foreman had a huge break in the middle, but he retired so young initially. You're talking about a man who hasn't been in the ring. His youngest son, Hardy, is now, who's now a professional fighter, his younger of the two fighting, uh, Connor as well. Connor was a year old when his dad retired, less than a year. And Hardy has never been alive since his father fought. And that's just when your own children are saying they're against it, but obviously they're not going to, you know, they're never going to cheer against their dad. But they've asked him and been quite vocal in the fact that they've asked him not to fight. No, OK, if, if I'm not, like he said he needs closure. Now, it's either closure mm. or money um, because he did when when he retired, his kind of life went apart. We, we, we kind of, you know, you can speak with that. Um, but one thing I, I, I noticed with George Foreman put out, um, like kind of it was a religious view. conversion as well, not exactly. religious conversion, but it was a big religion was a big factor in the background. Exactly. And George Foreman tweeted out uh, just well three days ago. At thirty-five, I was good as ever. Same with forty-five, but after forty-nine, fifty-five, no injuries healed. Slaps on the head caused confusion. So I said, no more boxing. A better granddad for it. So sweet was ne'er so faithful. Um, so fatal. I must weep. Now, of course, okay, we know that he's a he's a he's a um, preacher and so on. But then, like people are saying, like George, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Nigel feels good at 55; he does well, and so on and so forth. And Foreman was answering these people, saying, "Look, if he stays away from boxing, he looked great, even as well at 65." So he says, "Time and look yeah. to feel great." So I mean, why why is I think Ben well, going back? Yeah, let's not- Let's not ignore the fact that money was definitely a factor in George Foreman coming back the first time. But I think I was looking into both organisations because obviously the British Board of Boxing Control, Nigel Benn never made a formal application to them, but their Secretary General indicated in a few of his interviews that there had been an informal discussion. So like you would have before, kind of going, is there any chance if I come to you with an application? And they made it quite clear that that was going to be a non-runner. And the medical terms you have between the British Board of Boxing Control, like the standards they expect, and those which are expected of BIBA are actually quite similar. And BIBA actually goes a step further. They have 
like they have a brain scan at ringside that's now with all of their sanctioned fights but when a fighter has been out of the ring for in excess of 36 months or is over the age of 36 they do have a higher standard of test required but the funny thing in all of this isn't the fact that and I, I use the word funny I don't find it funny <laughs> haha but Nigel Benn's opponent is the biggest issue for me rather than his fitness rather than his health his opponent wouldn't require the 36 months post-activity testing because he's only been out of the ring since 2017 and late in 2017. It's, it's he's a, He's a very yeah. good, seasoned and a, a tough fighter as well, a, a big hitter. His, so his last few fights, and I could be slightly off on this, but I think it was his fifth last fight, was actually against Anthony Durrell, who fought last night. Like, that's the context to put it in. This is someone who is 24 months out of the ring. And he's going in, he's um, Australian, but Cameroonian um, origin as well. But it's a different, it, the opponent is a big factor in this. This is a young man who's two years into his retirement. I can't say I'd be enamored with the idea of Eubank or of Steve Collins getting in the ring. As a matter of fact, when there was that kind of rumor about 18 Remember. months ago, I think it would yeah. have been, about a Eubank-Collins fight, I was disgusted. Because that's probably the fight that made me love boxing. And I went, why would they do that? I mean, but again... And the idea then... It, but I, I know the idea then was like about was money and closure. It's like the third fight of the series and so on. But but surely, so, I mean, we're looking at this. You, you, I mean, okay, just take it from a legal standpoint. Um, do you think then that legally that a license should not be granted to a man? Or could it not be granted to a person over the age of 50? I No, to be fair, if they pass the testing required, I actually think from a legal, sta legal standpoint, and everything is above board, I, I would also, you'd want to see rigorous testing because I have no... Like, Nigel in his past obviously has had issues with recreational drugs. Um, I wouldn't ever question anything else in his part. But this is a fight where you have two men who are not of a similar age who are going into a fight that no matter what anyone says about the fitness of a person for their age that's the context you're putting it in it's for their age i don't have an issue with the licensing if all the rules and regulations are followed but this is forum shopping the british board of boxing control now they do a lot of things that i don't particularly find would endear you to them or make you think god they have a great system in place but if you're looking to shop around, your first port of call is, you know, it's going to be the British Board of Boxing. Of course. It's uh, not going to be, you're not going to be as your first option. No, no. I listen, they, they, like, otherwise. Like, like, Ben hasn't fought since 96, we know that. Um, he's 15 years older than his opponent, who, as you said, fought two years mm -hmm. ago. Ben has lost his last three fights. He, he, he lost his, um, his, his uh, world, uh, the super Colin. middle to, to Sugar Boy Malinga from South Africa. Then he lost twice to Steve and Collins. And then he went on, to, yeah. And the Collins fights between them included, uh, the first fight was four rounds and a TK, and the second one was a retirement. And I can understand, I think for him, that probably is something that sticks in his mind. But it's, the opponent is actually, the more I think about it and the more you listen to people discussing it, the opponent is as big a factor as his health and his fitness. The other thing, I suppose, is when you put it in the context of 
his opponent, you have to look at the fact that this is a man who he is bigger physically. He's three or four inches taller. His reach, I think, is slightly shorter. But he's coming from he his career ended with him having, I think, two wins and loss and a draw. Yeah. They were his last four fights and included a fight actually against Adonis Stevenson, which I think... Yeah, it's actually... They, 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 look, this, look, we can go on with this very but I mean, the, the point is that this this fight should not be taking place. It shouldn't. I'd, at this point, it should nearly make more sense if he got in the ring with Carl Sprott. There you go. And I'm not being... You're talking about that class fighter. It's a super middleweight. And that he's been left recently in the ring. The problem, I think, is that people will... I know his promoter for this is a friend, but at the same time, his children are saying they're not happy about it. There you go. The difficulty is a fighter will always want to fight. You see that with Paulie Malnagy and Artem Lobov. That, in my opinion, should, ne- should never have happened. But again, this but, is, look, we're, we're, we're going to have to go up, but um, this, again, it goes back to the case, it's the age, it's the opponent, and just basically, it's just the feeling about it all is just all wrong. It really is. Okay, Isol Cody, thank you very much. You have thank stay you stay much, warm there, Ireland. No, the, the weather's not that great. It's not great here in Moscow as well. It's only nine degrees in rain. But take it easy. We'll talk to you again very soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank Bye. you, Isol. Okay, so it's Isol Cody, uh, of course, boxing expert. Not just that, she was actually at um, Bellator, Bellator, like MMA fights um, on Friday in Dublin. I was like tweeting me across. It was so brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So I mean, what would you reckon? A fifty-five-year-old man. Yeah. who hasn't fought since 96 fighting a 40 year old man who's like just well still in training hasn't fought for a couple of years should take place or no yeah I think like it's uh, coming back to what you've said like if if he, if he feels like he's he wants to take that fight like why not like if he, <laughs> if he feels the <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I know it's like I would never think of it. like I'm thinking even now I'm like over 10 years younger than, than Nigel Ben, but I would never think of going back in the ring again I mean I sparred up until three years ago but even then you know, it was a sparring session. You know, it was like, it's not a fight where you really have to take someone's head off. So, I don't know. Okay. Right. Now, we did ask that question earlier on. Um, and, oh, by the way, I know that the um, Sevilla-Real Sociedad game is starting in a few minutes, correct? Um, in the La Liga. So, the yeah. winner, if Sociedad win that, they go to the top of La Liga tonight. Okay, so there you go. So, we'll follow that. Uh, Double is going to follow that. We'll, we'll be going off air just after halftime, but we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll keep on it. So, we did ask a question earlier on. Um, why was Francesco Totti uh, here in Moscow a couple of weeks ago? We also know, as I said, that I'd spoken with uh, Massimo Carreri. He was here a couple of weeks ago as well. And um, now that the Spartak job is free, we have a question to ask of Daria Voloshin. She is a communications director for the IFDA and also general director of the GLS agency. Daria, you're very welcome to our show. Yeah. Okay, we can we can hear you loud and clear. Um, so, um, first question: Is Massimo going to go back to Spartak? Oh well, I wish I could have given you some insight, but I'm afraid I will have to disappoint here. <laughs> okay. Massimo was a guest uh, at our event here, so I'm afraid no news. Okay, you okay? You can't speak. All right, so we'll okay. Well, we won't push on that. So, um, first question: IFDA. What does it stand for, and what do they do? IFDA is an international um, football development association. Uh, it is basically an association which unites more than 3,000 football, ex-football players and sports managers. It has been created initially starting from, well, it was born out of the idea that 
ex-football players are uh, an important resource of uh, of good for the world of football and for the society in general. So um, the idea, the one more idea behind the association is the fact that many football players, once they quit playing football, uh, they face serious problems. Serious problems meaning that uh, they quit at the age of around 35, 40, depending on how well you, you can carry on. And then you have some 10 or 15 years left before you go into pension and you are in, uh, in good health you and you find nothing to do. So um, this is... This is what we do in the association. We find uh, find the ways to requalify the ex-football players and to find them the ways that they can contrib- contribute to the development of football and to its growth. Okay, so it's, it's basically trying to retool football players for after their career. Because as you said, um, and it's a famous saying from John Giles, the ex-Irish international manager as well, uh, he said that, um, you know, you start, you, you sign your first professional contract at 15. You finish playing football at 35, you're still 15. You haven't learned, you haven't been educated. So that that's the case for a lot of footballers, correct? Absolutely. It, this is absolutely true. So this is, um, unfortunately, this is something that we face uh, in the real life because not all of the football players play at the important levels. They Not all of them get stand innovations at Old Trafford or Bernabeu. But uh, most of them uh, lead the same way of life. Um, they don't know. They they are they are actually fifteen or even probably less because some of these people, uh, unfortunately, they well they don't know how to buy an air ticket. Oh, so uh, basically unskilled for life. Absolutely, yeah, okay. absolutely. Because everything during uh, while they are playing football, everything is done in such a way that they are concentrated on to how to do their best on the pitch because and everything else is organized for them life is organized for them and when at the age of 35 they find themselves uh at the point where they have to do it themselves they don't know how okay so the company list okay sorry stay with us we're going to go out to a song right now to a break and we'll come back of course you, she's going to say you're going to stay with us Sure, okay, perfect. Okay, so we're going to go back and talk about the event that took place here two weeks ago. So we're going to with a song we're going to go out with. It is Post Malone and Circles. So we stay tuned. We'll be back after this. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. 